You got a problem, you don't know what to do. Your dreams are strange, and you're seeing things too. The world is full of mystery. Life's more than you can see. You can ask pomegranate. You can ask pomegranate. She's a priestess. Hello. Welcome to Ask Pomegranate, the podcast about mystery. Advice podcast about mystery, really. It's about giving advice. And so I'm sitting here during the lockdown or the stay-at-home order of 2020 when the world is trying to get a handle on the coronavirus and our relationship with it and our relationship to each other. And so from a spiritual standpoint, we want to think about what is grief and what is dying. Um, it's a weird, I mean, the Catholics might have been on to something with Easter and dying, dying in Easter in the spring, because, it's, you know, from a pagan standpoint, it's a time of growth and rebirth. We're well, well along with death. We're halfway through the year and we're experiencing the exuberance of life, but because of this quarantine, we need to be thinking about these questions of illness, grief, death. And um, because we're brought to a place of quiet in between the old world and the new world, we need tools to go through this transition. And Elizabeth Kubler-Ross gave us some tools, which are the Five stages of dying, which have been converted for use as the five stages of grieving. So originally, so this is what you go through when you get diagnosed with an illness. By the way, did I ever tell y'all about Elizabeth, who um, the story goes that she was going to quit her job. Um, and before she did her groundbreaking work on grief, she was planning on quitting her job when her mentor Late at night, came to her office. No one was there. Stopped her as she went down the hallway. She had left a resignation on the on the desk of somebody, and um, he said, "No, you got to come and talk to me." And he sat down and he talked to her for about two hours about how important her work was and what she needed to do. And she said to him, "Just as a reminder, will you please write me this in a note?" And he did, and he handed her the note, and. She changed her mind. She took the resume back and she went back on to go do this work that I'm about to talk a little about. And the the um, the twist in this tale is that, of course, her mentor was dead when this happened. So it was a visitation from an ancestor that sort of insisted that this woman who really had lost her hope of doing any good work was turned around. So... That's a, that's a little hint to keep paying attention and looking for your ancestors. And we talked about this on my last podcast. Let's stay in touch with our ancestors. Let's not be, become those without ancestors. So she came up with this work. And through observation, they recognize that when you go through the process of dying or grief, post someone you love dying, you might go through some of these stages at some point in some order. <laughs> you might not, but you might. And it's good to observe them and be aware of them and notice where you are so that you can help process them. 
They are denial, anger, bargaining, depression, acceptance. And there's other, you know, it's a bit expanded upon and you can find this uh, information. I would go to grief.com to look at this up more. There's books, more books and co-written books by her. She's now dead. She's probably in the room. Hi, Elizabeth. There's like signups there for you to join grief groups and get help with grief. And I see my therapist online now and I'm going to say it works great. A great, it's great to zoom in with him. It's actually in some ways more convenient. So think about that as an option for you. If this is this discussion I'm about to do is bringing things up for you and you're feeling a little overwhelmed. Um, so I think these stages are really interesting because they're also the first, the first three are um, also ways that we try to understand whether or not we have to go through this grief. And it's good. That's good. So it comes back to the classic prayer. Help me to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. This is a serenity prayer. And these stages actually help you decide which one you're in, which one you're going towards. Am I, and and they, they're actually a series of discernments, really. So it's in, you know, in praise of procrastination, we have a thing happen and then we go into a shock or denial about it. And often you'll have a terrible, shocking thing happen. And if you have a paranoid mindset like I do, you'll think uh, you'll daymare things that are happening that aren't happening. And this is being Irish, (laughs) I think you'll daymare a, a scenario and then your body will go into a little bit of shock around that. And then that's fine because it turns out it actually didn't happen. And so denial just says, wait a minute, let's just wait until we see what's really happening here before we go into a full thing about this and replan our whole lives. Denial, or which is actually the emotion of shock, is a stasis and it's a place of of holding back a little bit and not fully engaging in the problem until it's really necessary. It's actually a kind of way of procrastinating. And I love it for that because really procrastination, it's a gift because it allows you to not do something that's not necessary to do. Right. Um, And then anger, it's like, well, answer, you're going to go, well, okay, uh, this thing did happen. Now I'm mad, which is you saying, I want to kind of, I want to assert my control over this. I want to set boundaries and take this on and be proactive and deal with this thing. And if that works, great. So a thing happened and maybe you have some say or sway in it. So great. Follow that anger. Follow that anger in a non abuse of the other's way, follow the anger in a clean way and check out. Maybe you do have control where you don't. So maybe you are not. It also defeats the victim story. Victim stories are always bad from a spiritual standpoint um, because they always are just basically getting you stuck. Well, I might might be about to contradict myself in a minute. We'll see. Um, The other and then bargaining is just like, well, okay, so uh, taking control didn't work and and it really did happen. I'm coming out of that. So maybe I can arrange things. And anybody who's got a brain like mine, Virgo brain, 
you're really into organizing things. You, you like if I just take this and do that and I pay that guy and we do this and we do, you know, and maybe we just didn't pray enough around them or maybe we could pray. And then that will actually motivate you to take actions that you wouldn't have thought before that you wouldn't have that that bargaining brings you to a place of really being creative in your thought process and and uncovering unfound answers. Okay, so if that doesn't work, now, like the thing happened, you don't have any control, and there isn't a solution that you can creatively come up with. So now we're moving out of the accepting, um, uh, finding the courage to change the things I can mode, and moving into accepting the things I cannot change mode. And that's a, this is a critical moment in every process that you're actually in. This is the critical moment of knowing which one you're supposed to do, because that is the moment when you need that serenity to help you. And the way you're going to get that serenity is actually weirdly just going into a form. Well, they're called, they call it depression in this process. And I think what they're describing is like, you go, ah, you go, I surrender, I give up, there actually is no hope of me, puny little tiny me on the planet, uh, fixing this or finding a solution to this, this is actually happening to me. And I got to just give up hope and that can feel bad, that can feel real bad. I've, I've done it many different ways throughout my life, where I had that heartbreak and that heart sink. But there's times I've done it where I've just gone, uh, okay, it's actually this, this sort of form, form of empowerment where you just go, okay, I don't have any power over this. And I actually need to turn this over to the goddess or for me, that's what I do, your higher power. You, I just need to, and it's a feeling of relief, I just need to turn this over. And for instance, I have to turn over the fact that I'm not allowed to really leave my property very much. I, and then I don't know how long this is going to last for. And I got to just turn that over. And that can be heartbreaking. And it can be just actually relieving. It can be a feeling of relief. Whatever it is, it's okay. Either one is okay. Like when it's something very, 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 very terrible. You just can't avoid the heartbreak. And we don't want to, we want to be in our emotional bodies, we want to be in our water bodies, having the full experience of loss and grief and gain, all of those things must be experienced fully for our um, manifestation here on earth to be useful to us. We want to really engage with everything in a way that doesn't defeat our own lives. So then we're going to come to a place of acceptance. And that's where you go, oh, damn. So for instance, let's take Oh, let's see, who shall we pick from the people who died in my life? Um, we'll, we'll take my little brother when my little brother died. And I went through this process for the first time. And it was very fresh. And I was very young. Um, I had to come to a place that I would never be who I was before he died. And that I would be forever changed. And what that means is that I would never be a person whose heart wasn't completely broken. And that my broken heart was the gift I got from my brother as the last gift he gave me. And it was a beautiful gift and a freaking painful gift. And 
there are things we are going to be grieving about the world we left behind in 2020. And there's going to be, there's always something to grieve. There's, and grief asks us to notice that we'll never be the same. That's what grief asks us. Sadness asks us to accept. Grief asks us to accept that we're never going to be the same, that we have lost not only the thing we lost, but we've lost part of ourselves. And the other half of that is we need to learn to be somebody new, that we're actually also getting reborn. And so you can think about times in your life when you lost something and you had to change. And then in the end, like a year later, a year, it's going to take a minimum of a year because it takes a full cycle of the wheel of the year. That's why we pay attention to the wheel of the year. It takes a full cycle of the wheel of the year. You have to go through every season to understand the new you. And that when you got to that new you, it was actually wonderful. Even though you were heartbroken, it was wonderful. So what I gained from the death of my little brother uh was my ability to sit here and talk to you today clearly about grief. Um, that was a beautiful gift. So though that that is where we are. We're all going to be going through some form of this, this journey of the stages of grief because what's dying is the old way we were living. And there were ways it was fantastic. And there were ways in which it wasn't. And as we journey, we need to journey through that uh, with these stages and be aware of where we are and be okay with where we are. And each one of them is going to come with a whole bunch of emotions. And we are responsible to understand and process those emotions and understand and process this journey we're on there are some things which you will have not lost and you don't know that yet you don't know what you've lost we don't understand completely so we're going to be in denial and there are some things which we're mad about and there's some things which we can surrender to and there's some things to which there is no hope of it ever going back and in some cases that's great and in other cases it's terrible we don't even we're not even to a place at right now as I sit here where we can accept things. What we can accept is that we're in between and that things are changing. Now, I want to talk about what the spiritual journey of that is, because what I just described for you was the socio-emotional psychological journey of tragedy. And I didn't even get into the physiological, how it is in your physical body to go through tragedy and trauma. I'm not going to do that in this podcast because it's too big a subject. But if once you layer on tragedy and trauma, trauma onto tragedy, then you got a whole much more complications going on. And that makes it actually quite difficult to go through all these stages in any kind of way because your body's too activated with fear to do it. So again, it's always good to learn breathing techniques for calming and go check out my free breathing techniques that are on my website that will help you learn to breathe in a way that is calming to the vagus nerve, to the sympathetic vagus nerve when activated. It calms it and tones it and allows it to become less activated or unactivated. So 
Now let's talk about the journey of grief and loss from a spiritual standpoint. I had a therapist once amongst the many therapists I've had. Uh, his name is Maury Titkin. And he said to us, never waste a crisis. <laughs> so you can go through this crisis of death and dying, or you can go through a crisis of grief and avoid having a spiritual experience around that. But I'm guessing since you're listening to this podcast, you would prefer to have this spiritual growth happen. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to tell you the tools that I use when I'm in a uh, spirit, when I want to invoke spiritual growth as a result of a crisis. So these are tools for spiritual growth in a crisis. And they're tied to these, uh, the, the brilliant work of uh, Elizabeth Kubler-Ross and the stages I just went through. And what I want you to understand is that you, these are not things you have to do. These are not things that will necessarily happen on their own. But I do think there's an organic nature to them. I've done them a number of times to the point now where I've actually systematized it and sort of made them profound cornerstones in my life of doing these things. What I want to do is go through those and lay them out for you. And then I will let you know that I'm developing a class on this so that you can actually have tools to use them. You can actually, I'll actually teach you how to use these tools for spiritual growth in a crisis. So while, while you're going through a terrible crisis, if you're a spiritual person, the first thing you want to do, and especially if you find yourself in that state of shock, first of all, when I'm in shock, I like to say, oh, thank you, shock. Now when I'm in shock, I know. I know because I feel fine and this horrible thing has happened and yet I feel fine. And I'm like, ah, I'm in shock. And I, I welcome it and I, I ask it to stay as long as it possibly can because I know when I come out of it, it's going to be real hard. So welcoming shock is a good choice. And the very first thing you want to do when you're in shock and as in a crisis is you want to ground and that's a question of asking these questions of yourself. And it's about finding a moment to sit still. And when you do, you just say, I'm breathing. And who am I? I'm breathing. Where am I? I'm breathing. What's the energy around me right now? So ways to question energy are, is it comforting? Is it dramatic? Is it calm? Is it helpful? Is it harmful? Is it dangerous? Is it difficult? And just noticing, just noticing where you are, who you are, and what's happening. That's, that's grounding and just noticing, I have a body. That's what the breathing is for. The breathing brings you back to center, brings you back to body, because breathing opens up the heart, the heart of the body. And the heart of the body is not the human heart pump, pump, pump alone. It's actually in the bronchioles. It's actually in those parts of the lungs, which are getting infected from the COVID virus and blocking them up because that virus brings our attention to our heart. So 
you're in shock, you want to ground. Grounding is a technique for knowing who you are just in that moment, not today, tomorrow, or for anybody else, but in that quiet moment, who am I? In that quiet, quiet moment, where am I? And what is the energy? What is the spiritual energy around me right now? Without trying to mess with it. And that's the very first thing you do. And this, this is about learning to slow, to become non-reactive, and to calm as much as you can in the moment calm. That's what shock's helping you do. It's saying just stay calm because being not calm isn't going to be helpful right now. You're not in a place where you actually can handle anything but calm. And we just notice where we are. And before we make any other moves, we make sure that we ground it. And that's that process. And then if you, it, when the anger part of the stages comes to you, what you're going to do as a spiritual person is ask, where are my edges? Where are my boundaries? Where are my edges? And that can be both interpersonal edges, but it can actually be actually physiological, psychic physiological edges. Like where is the edge of my body at? Where, how, how big is my aura? Where can I feel out to? And you want to notice that in front of you, beside you, really pay attention to behind you because often our edges are very compact from the back because we forget about them. How far is my energy out of my body? Like am I, have I left my body? Is it far up above? Am I feeling my feet? Where are my edges? That's the first kind of process of edges you want. And then what is it that I am not wanting right now in terms of what's actually happening? Of course, like if you had a tragedy, you don't want the tragedy to happen. But what is it I don't want? Like, is it I don't want to be amongst a crowd of people? I don't want to be indoors. I don't want to be just not to what you don't want, what irritates you. This is an edge. And so it's organizing you so that you can be in an active state of response that's not that's not that's proactive rather than reactive. It's actually organizing you to find where you need to be so you can be useful to yourself and others, spiritually speaking. So do I need to be outdoors? Do I need to be indoors? Do I need to be alone? Do I need quiet? What are the things and you can go through a, a myriad of questions around that? The question is, where are my edges? Now, you might want to, at this point, even go so far as to cast a circle to shore up those edges and find the place that you need to go through this process. Because you're having a crisis, that means you're being asked to go through a transformation, a spiritual transformation. And then, once you've asked the, answered those questions, where are my edges, and you've taken care of them and you're going to need some, you're going to need that anger in order to take care of them because the crisis puts into stark reality where you have not been attending to your edges. You want to ask what needs to go? What, what, it, what's in my presence? What's in my life? What am I putting my attention to that needs to go? What needs to go? And you're just doing it for today, just for today. What needs to go? Because 
We need to clear out when we're in a spiritual transformation in a crisis, we need to clear out things that are distractions and things that are not helping us get where we want to go. Your energy is being used up by the crisis. It doesn't have any time for anything else. So look at what needs to go. And even if you can't in this moment, as you're noticing your edges and as you're understanding uh, what needs to go, even if you can't get rid of it because you don't have the strength or you're stuck in a situation you can't do anything about, just knowing that it needs to go can be enough. Like you don't maybe even have to do anything except for to go, oh yeah, you need to go or that needs to go. Like my job needs to go or my Aunt Judy needs to go or like you can just sit there and go, yeah, that needs to go. And sometimes just noticing that will allow that thing to go. So that's what we do in the in the face of anger. You may and also be careful. You may not net recognize it as anger. It could just be a mild irritation or a hyper niceness. Even in some people, it's shown that way. Just notice it. Where are my edges? What needs to go? We go into the bargaining phase. In the bargaining phase, we look for who is on my side. What allies do I have? that are going to help me go through this change? What allies do I have? What plant allies? What human allies? What spiritual allies? What spirit guides? What higher powers? That would be your gods and goddesses, angels, those types, the goddess of the earth. What on when I go through all of the realms, what, what minerals literally, like some people will need a certain kind of rock or they're not getting enough calcium. Like it could be practical, but it could be like, I need some, I need some granite. I just need to hold some granite in my hand. Um, what rocks go through each realm? What rocks, what plant, what animals, what humans, what's what spiritual allies, what otherworldly beings will I call on? What gods? What what mystery? What allies do you have in this moment? And how can I and ask them to help you? And then you ask them to show you where your power lies. Because in the bargaining phase, this is like you're still trying to figure out where your power is. You ask for the leverage. Ask for the power. Where do I, where do I find my empowerment in this moment. And you won't know, you won't know, because if you knew you wouldn't be in this position, that's why you got to ask for help from who's in. See, you already know who's out. So now we're asking who's in. And those those beings can you tell you by showing you signs, by making things happen that are weird, and by giving you dreams, and then you can find the leverage, the power you have. When we go into the acceptance phase, we're going to ask a series of questions. So you're starting to go, okay, this crisis happened. I realize I got to deal with it. I, I can't, I've done everything I can in this moment to, to change it or to stop it. I'm accepting that this crisis has happened. So we ask Basically, the whole thing is leading up to this big final question, which is how can I be enlightened? But on the road to that enlightenment, we want to ask, how much of this crisis is my business? So 
it might be happening right in front of you, but it might not be your business. So you might be like, I'm upset about this and this is transforming me, but it's not the core of my soul. It's actually a crisis going on near me that's really affecting a lot of people and changing my life, but it's not really my core or it might be right in the core of you. you got to understand how much are you responsible for, how much of it is your business and how much how much response are is, is going to be needed for you. And you should know yourself by now. You're a, either a person who over responds to things too quickly or a person who under responds to things too slowly. Know which one and just be careful of either one, whichever one you do. I'm a over responder too quickly. So I often regret the responses I have. So just know and then compensate a little bit for it. So what I do is go, should I respond to somebody I know and trust in my ally team that I just got from the other thing? And they tell me, go slow, go fast. No, no, you don't have to, just slow down. At some point in this journey of transformation, you're going to hit probably what is the most difficult stage, which in the stages of grief is depression and hopelessness. And then along those lines of acceptance comes that very profound tool of turning over this problem to something that is bigger than you. And it's, a, it's that surrender that, that I talk about. It's that surrendering the problem, understanding you can't do anything about it and actually surrendering it to something larger than you. And that's an act of faith and trust and hope in that, that there's some meaning to everything that happens that you have, in fact, possibly prearranged for some of this to happen so that you could experience it. And there's a lot of spiritual teachers who talk about that. I think there's also a modicum of chaos in the world too. After you use that tool of turning things over, surrendering and often that's a that right before you do that is the very very worst moment of a spiritual experience and spiritual transformation it's the very worst moment where you really really want to be able to affect it more than you are and you just finally give up and that's often when you have the breakthrough and we can pray and this is the final thing we can pray in acceptance for enlightenment we pray Please, all the beings that are here for me and on my side, allow me to understand what growth I'm here to have. I don't want to waste this crisis, Maury. (laughs) I want to understand it. I want to understand this crisis and I want it to move through me with grace and beauty and enlightenment. I'm willing to go through the pain of life and I'm willing to be transformed by it. And so ask yourself in this when you can you can't do this one too early you can't skip ahead but when you're uh, can ask what is here for me what knowledge can be gained what wisdom can move through me and how can I let go of the things that no longer serve me and become the being that is being called upon to arise in this crisis and that is a, a conscious being who is getting wisdom revealed to me so that it moves through me and I can use it to help others and to change the world, hopefully.
So a quick review of all the things I just said. Tools for a spiritual growth in a crisis. Ground, ask who you are and where you are and what the energy is like. Understand where your edges are, what needs to go. Find who's on your side and where your leverage is. Ask, is this my business? What do I need to turn over? And how can I be enlightened? Your call's next. You can ask pomegranate. You can ask pomegranate. She's a priestess. Hi, this is Angie. And I'm writing a mystery novel where there is a plot of land that is cursed. And I'd like to be able to talk about curses in some kind of smart way, maybe raise some thoughtful questions. So I'd like to know more about curses and um, how you get them, how you deal with them. Anyway, appreciate your insight. Thank you. Bye. Okay, good question, Angie. Um, Fascinating. A mystery novel. Um, Here's the deal. Land can get cursed um, for different reasons. Generally speaking, we tend to curse one another. So curses are entirely generated by um, human beings for the purpose of being, uh, of expressing their dismay at another human being. And um, so it doesn't come from anywhere else. There isn't like some creepy, weird creature going around cursing you, some unknown creature. Now, you can, if you're that kind of a person, you can access the magical powers of a being and use it to curse, to amp up your curse. But essentially a curse is just like, it's just like what it sounds like. It's literally you're saying, You know, it's like you're driving your car and you're like, I hate you, you bastard. Why do you do this? That's sending out a curse. So you have energy and vital life force. You organize that around a thought, which is called your intention. You allow that intention to be charged up by your that vital life force. And then you take those two things, you bind them together, and then you send them out. Um, if you wave your hands around, it's going to be sent out strong, more strongly. If you're using a louder voice or a more pointed energy with your voice, it'll be more strong. And that's what a curse is. It's like a little mini magical spell. And we tend to do them kind of all day, every day at each other casually because we don't notice that when we curse someone, we don't notice when we curse one. That's why because we don't know that we have we have powers and because we don't know we have powers we don't notice that we have to be responsible for them when you become responsible when you become aware of your power and that's might be happening to you right now as you listen to me that for the first time you really got oh I'm cursing someone and I hope you will darlings I hope you will in this moment get that you have power And that when you bind that power with an intention, it creates an energy. And you can either, well, there's a lot of things you can do with it, but there's like cursing or there's praying or blessing. And a blessing enhances and helps that person. 
So if I'm traveling and I'm driving and I'm mad at someone, I can easily just say, no, I really have to mean it. I can't just make it up. Uh, I could easily say, well, I hope that they're, in a br- I, I truly hope this person's driving improves. May you be blessed with learning to be a better driver. And that's an actual blessing. And that supports that person in the course of action you hope will improve your life too. Or you can do the cursy thing. A curse is a, is a, is a, it'll hit them as much as they are available for it. So if they don't have their own protections up, they, they don't have their own wards up, they'll, that curse will be received. And also people who've been more cursed are more able to take a curse. In other words, and this is the bad news, is that if someone is abused as a child, for instance, or had been cursed a lot, or for if you're a black person in the Western world, the United States in particular, you are more vulnerable to a curse because you've been cursed by white supremacy, for instance. So it's unfortunate, but the more you've been cursed, the more you will get cursed. And so things you can do um, I'm just, this is not answering your question, Angie, but just so people know, you, you should always be like watching for that a little bit, not, not hypervigilantly, but just like clear your energy field. When you ha- have a circle up around your house, if you go to my website, you can find a quick class for free on how to put up a circle. Um, you want to have a circle around your house so that when you come home and you enter it, all of those energies get cleared off of you as you enter your house by that circle of protection you put up. That's one of the simplest things you can do. Um, notice that when you curse someone, you're simultaneously cursing yourself three times more powerfully. So if you feel really cursed, you might want to check your own cursing. Uh, this is the law of three and it's the law of karma and you will find it in any religion worth their, worth their salt. So uh, if you don't believe that's true, please remove yourself from my presence because I don't want to be near you when it comes back at you. Uh, okay, so can land be cursed? Well, land is more complicated, but yes, certainly land can be cursed. When a war happens on a land, a piece of land, um, anybody who's traveled through the South of America and encountered civil war, war air battlefields can definitely feel that kind of trapped, cursed, unquiet, dead ghosty energy sort of repeating itself over and over again. That's one way land can get cursed. Another way land can get cursed is by the exploitation of it and the disregard for its magical properties and understanding its elegance and beauty. So now this is something that they understand in my uh, parents' land of Ireland, where they will general, generally speaking, not you know, plow through a fairy mound or mess with a ancient site of, of uh, the, that the ancestors made. They will carefully restore them, in fact, and build roads around these places because they know that the fairies are going to come and get them if they do it. Like you're messing with the, with ancient agreements here. Now in, in the States, they'll just go right through a sacred uh, mound and that will immediately curse it because the sacred mound is 
understanding the magical energies, building a relationship with it and, and expressing that through mound building. There's certain parts of the land that are better for composting and eating up old energies that the, the animal people slough off. And so that those places should be tended to and, and or left alone. And then when we overactivate a piece of land, we can end up with, with, by building too much and too high. We can curse the energy that way. And it's really just getting out of concert with the harmony of the earth. And we do that because of the Descartian idea that the earth is dead and is a machine to be used for our own selves. And we don't, we don't allow ourselves to have sensitivity to Tao's, to notice the land spirits are. So um, bad traffic patterns will appear. You'll feel uncomfortable. There's a part of Portland called Old Town, which has been cursed for years. Many people have been working to undo. But because of the bad things that happened there, there was, that was where the word Shanghai came from, was that area of Portland, was where, the, where Shanghai got invented, plus cultural oppression appropriation and a whole lot of a whole lot of bad things happen plus they didn't take into account the land itself and the spirit of the land when they built on it so now it's cursed and then they've since put up structures that sort of lock that curse down we're working on it it's getting better but you'll find that in parts of town and there's a whole compilation of reasons things can feel cursy or be actually cursed in land. But as to yourself, if you want to retrieve your curses, just call them back to yourself and say, I'm so sorry to the people that I harmed through those accidental or meaningful curses. Allow them to drop into the earth and compost, forgive yourself, and then send blessing out, blessings out in their place. And that will send the blessings to you three times over. And and be sure to have a circle around your house because you want that clearing of your energy field as you come and go from your house. Uh, hopefully that was going to help you write that fabulous mystery novel of yours. Thanks for that question. You can ask pomegranate. You can ask pomegranate. Are you curious about the mysterious? Give me a call at Ask Pomegranate, 520-222-9922. Or write me at askpomegranate at gmail.com. Hello, Miss Pomegranate. This is Miss B from Northern California. And my question for you is, could you please share with us techniques for house clearing? And could you include situations where there may have been a death in the home, perhaps one that you're thinking of buying, or when you feel there may be ghosts or other unwelcome energies? Thank you. Okay, well, house clearing... These are three different topics. One is just how do you clear a house? And the second one is how do you clear a house when someone has died? And the third is how do you clear a house when there's a ghost in it? And those are rising in difficulty. And so what I'll start with is the easiest one. So, I mean, house clearing is a fairly easy job. Um, 
one of the things that it seems really, really obvious, but if you take a broom, and I have many, many brooms in my house, and you bless it as a tool, a magical tool for clearing more than the floor, clearing more than the debris of the floor. So you just hold it in your hands, and you know, they're, they're made out of natural resources, generally speaking, and better, it's nice to have one that is made of natural resources, but you certainly can do it with a nylon one if you want. You take that broom, you hold it in your hands horizontally, and you basically honor it. And you say, you are a magical tool to me, and your job is to clear in multiple, multiple levels, in multiple realms, so that it knows what its job is. So think of the sorcerer's apprentice with all those mops moving around and how they were filled with magic. All you have to do is set the intention for this thing to go from an object of cleaning to an object of magical power. And, you know, you just bless it with that and it'll come alive a little bit and it'll allow itself to be that thing. Now, where you place that, if it's a beautiful broom, you can place it in a corner of your room. And just by sitting there in the corner of the room, you will do the job, even if you don't sweep with it. But when you really need to clean energetically your house, you can use a broom to either actually sweep. But I also like to dangerously wave it around in the air in case it might, you know, tap a few things. I'm a bit awkward. Like everybody who knows me knows that when I go into something, something's going to fall over and things are going to fly around. And nobody even asks me, are you okay in there anymore? Because I drop things so much. But waving around the air, sweeping the floor with it, and doing a clean sweep, starting from the top of your house going down and out the door. And if you can reach at some point the earth itself, that's good. That's a real easy, basic way to clean. And that's something I would do like kind of monthly. Um, and that's just a quick, easy clean. Uh, of course, burning herbs, we all know about that. Traditionally, burning herbs is as old as the hills. And there's been some awareness or controversy about cultural appropriation around that. So some people are uncomfortable with wild crafting sage, wrapping it in a, in a stick with thread and then burning that because it's too culturally appropriative of First Nations people's ways of doing things. Even some people are uncomfortable with using the word smudge. What is a, a really easy thing to do and better for the wild crafting community and, and the plants themselves is just to get lavender, rosemary, or some kind of herb, thyme even, f from your garden or from your friend's garden or from the store and dry those things out and then loosely burn them in a um, container of some kind that can hold heat. And just go around and spread that smoke throughout your house. And that's a pretty comprehensive uh, cleansing technique. And it also actually cleans the air of things like viruses, in case you might be interested in that for some reason. Um, it actually works in this world and in other worlds. And it just it's just like uh, the original air freshener that actually does the job without poisoning you. And you fill the house with smoke and you let that smoke all waft out and it cleans and clears. Now, 
we get a little more determined if you're in a really gunky, messy, energetically bad house, you might want to do a really serious, thorough cleansing. And that is going to involve salt. Um, when you get down to the salt, it can use those same plants. That, uh, they don't have to be dry. In fact, they're better fresh. And we take salt and water and mix them together. And we dip the fresh plant and you kind of want to, this is a really good thing to do before you move into a place. Uh, you want to go around and it's, we call it the Wapata Wapata. Again, it is very ancient. Okay. It's really old and all people, all indigenous people around the world have done this in some form. You, you belong to the earth is what I'm trying to say to you. So Okay, so you you go around, you do the wapata wapata, you take fresh herbs, better they be fresh, you dip them in salt water, and then you just wop, like literally slap the place you're t you're cleaning, slap the walls, slap the floor a little bit, slap the air, you know, point to the ceiling with it, wave your arms around, dip in the water, wapata wapata. Now, when you're done, go outside and then throw that branch of of herbs over your shoulders without looking back some people also at that point like to spit that's a really good cleansing you can also wop it a wop it to your friend when you want to do a purification on them and clear their energy because they've been having a hard day and or whatever else is going on they just need to be cleared and you can actually and we do when we do this with the wapata wapa with our friend we hit the herbs on our friend it's a good reason to make them laugh and giggle too especially when you get to the face be sure when you're doing a person that you hit them everywhere in their underarms above on top of their head and especially pick up the foot and do it below the feet again throwing the herb over your shoulder so that it lands and you don't look at it until later you can look at it later when you move it to somewhere move it to compost pile so here's what i would do if someone or here's what i do do when i'm clearing a house of someone who died once the body has left the building don't do this while the body's in the building because it's there's no point so once the body has left the building, um, that's when I'm going to go buy a 10 pound bag of potatoes because raw potatoes uh, put on an infection. I hear the tale from the herbalists will with will draw the infection out and cool the infection. And this is also what happens with raw potatoes in a magical space. So you're going to take like a 10 pound bag or depending on your space, five pound bag of potatoes and either put it through the food processor so it's grated. I have done, I don't know what I did one time. How many did we do one time? 20 pounds? One time I had a big job to do <laughs> and we grated 20 pounds of potatoes and by hand because we didn't have a food processor and then laid out all over the floor and all over the bed and all over the room this grated pile of potatoes and I've given the spell to muggles and then you'll you would not believe a muggle when they need a spell they will do a spell and they'll find it helpful which is great I'm I'm all for that I'm all for mugs muggles doing spells um so you lay it all out on newspaper trying to cover as much area as you can and 
I would also, if it's a tough case, pour salt on top of those potatoes too. And then if I can close the door on that room where the person died, I would close the door and make sure the windows are open because you got to give a place for the energy to go. I would close the door on that place for 24 or 48 hours till you felt like it was done and that the potatoes will absorb everything. And then I would gather up all those potatoes, compost them. That's fine. And do one of the two or I would do two or all three of the previous methods on top of that. So I would do the clearing with the water and the salt water, or I would, or, and, or I would do the smudging with, with the burning of the herbs, or I would do the broom cleaning. I mean, actually just going in and cleaning with anything that's natural will also do the job. The only difference between magically cleaning and cleaning cleaning is when you bring the attention that you're cleaning all of the energies. And a good house cleaner, which is, I used to be a house cleaner, a professional house cleaner for five years, a very good professional house cleaner or house cleaner will clean all the realms in the house. And people will be like, I don't know why it feels so good in here. And you're like, it's because I cleaned all the realms, not just because I cleaned the toilet. I cleaned the toilet and also all the realms of the energetic waters. And, you know, (laughs) I cleaned the energy down from the basement and I got that ogre out (laughs) like that. So that's what I would do. Um, Now, unquiet dead. Ghosts. You know what? It's a hard case. Uh, sometimes it's going to backfire on you. Sometimes, you know, I just feel like it's a really kind of a whole class. I, I would feel a little iffy about telling you how to do it. Actually, you actually need to be trained to do that. So I feel like if I told you how to get rid of a ghost right now, I could get you in more trouble than it's worth. But what I would say that the little bit that that I can do for you is if you're buying a haunted house, consider whether or not that's your business and feel that in your gut. Is it my business to, am I a priestess of the other world? Am I a priestess of the unquiet dead? Is it my job to do the work of dealing with ghosts? Because ghosts are tricky And if you don't know what you're doing, you can get yourself in more trouble. And if it's not your business, try to get out of it. Like try to get out of it. It's not glamorous. There's no glamour here. It's annoyance. So just imagine you're hanging out with a drunk, drunk person all the time and they're just annoying you and won't listen to anything you say. And you're not quite sure. That's, that's the glamour of ghosts. Okay. So uh, avoid it. My, My advice to you is avoid haunted houses don't even walk. I, there's a haunted house on my street between me and the kid's house. And I walk across the street (laughs) and I'm a ghostbuster. I go, Oh, walk across the street. And then to avoid that house, like avoid them, just avoid them. But if you've got one in your house and you can't move, then one of the easiest things you can go is just say, you're dead. You're dead. It's like you would say with your friend, you're drunk. You can't drive. I have your keys. I've called you a taxi. So do that with a ghost. You go, you're dead. You can't walk. You can't affect anything. There's a door. 
go to it and go through it. And then the easiest thing to do in that circumstance is just say, beautiful dead, beautiful dead, come and help this ghost, come and help this ghost, they're annoying. (laughs) But I'd have to train you how to get rid of a ghost, so just avoid it. All right. Well, I hope you have a fresh, clean house after this. You can ask pomegranate. 520-222-9922. Hi, Tom. It's Wendy. Um, I'm a middle-aged woman, and I know myself pretty well. And at this point, I understand why I can't keep lovers around for more than three or four years. And it's because there's a part of me that comes out when I'm attracted to someone in love with them that is a fragmented piece from when I was abandoned for a spell when I was a baby. And that little girl is very attached, and she's also pretty anxious, distressing. So anyway, what this means is that I'm I'm a highly sexual person, and I'm always looking for love. And when I don't have it, I tend to manifest it pretty quickly. But right now, I I can't because I'm social distancing. My life is really pretty secure in every other aspect, but this one. So it was easier before I had someone that I was a friend with that I wanted to, to, to bring into my bedroom. And I found someone like that kind of recently in the last few months. And now when I hang out with this person week or so I get so full of desire that I feel like I can't control myself Uh, almost like a 13 year old boy the way that they're described with having hard-ons like when the wind blows or a werewolf or something and what I'd like to do is I'd like to use this opportunity to to make some sort of amends with this fragmented self that I've I've let really rule my life a lot in the last Anyway, so I'm just wondering if you have any suggestions for me that are magical. Even as I'm talking, I realize that I could do more to create that tender erotic intimacy for myself at home, and that would satisfy that need somewhat. Um, I do masturbate a lot, but beyond that. But I just I think maybe there could be something, if I could put it into a more of a spiritual context, that would be great. <laughs> so thanks for listening. Thank you for what you're providing for all of us right now. Okay, bye-bye. It seems like, Wendy, you have two different problems. And I probably have ideas for both of them. But because we're treading into child childhood trauma area, and also because we're talking about sex, which is a fantastic thing to talk about, I really want you to stop and feel in your body if any of my advice is right for you before you go do it. Like sometimes we just get excited about new ideas and we go do it. But anytime you're taking advice for someone, we have to stop and go, does this resonate with me before we even try to do it? Okay. So Let's take the small child fractured part first, and then we'll take the how do how do I come get a sexual relationship going 
um, in a isolated, when I'm isolated and can't reach out to anyone, what do we do then? And what is the magical possibilities? Because that's my lane. Um, so uh, when I was born, I things happened and I was separated from my mother due to a catastrophic illness that I went through the moment I was born and I was separated from her for the first, I think it was, I don't know. I wasn't really uh, born very much, uh, two weeks maybe of my life. So I didn't get the cuddles and it was six, 1962. And so we weren't, weren't exactly cuddling babies in 1962 very much. We we're just putting them in little plastic boxes in rooms with bright lights and loud noises. So that was, uh, first of all, that was a formation of my life that formed all the things that happened during that formed the foundations of who I would become. And that's okay. Like that was in the plan. That's okay. Now, I'm not saying I enjoyed that. I really mostly didn't. Um, but it did shape me. And I can't reject that experience because I would be rejecting really fundamental things about who I am. At the same time, I have worked systematically to heal um, myself of that experience. So what you're talking about is similar, somewhat similar. I don't know how old you were, but the first thing you would do is forgive that experience, forgive that experience that caused you all that trouble and, and actually accept it as a valuable experience to go through and a shaping experience. Then what happens when we go through trauma as children is sometimes we get a kind of a fracturing uh, of the, the not the soul, because the soul can't get fractured, but we get a fracturing or a prisming of, of the person, the spirit in the body. And if, if that makes sense to you. And so, you know, classically, and I don't think it's a bad word, we would call it a soul retrieval is needed. And so, in other words, yeah, I don't like love these words, but I'm going to use them because they're easy and people understand them to a certain extent. But so your soul, part of your soul doesn't quite come into the body in the way that you would want it to. And it feels like it's lost. And so you feel lost to yourself. And we do this on purpose. When Before we come in, we make a plan for that because it's valuable. And there comes, and also the other thing that's valuable is coming to a healing of that. Call, being able to be empowered to call that part of yourself back. Now, there are people who do it. I'm sure many of them are amazing. I know I am. I have a friend who's really good at it. I'm not offering that service. But you might not feel comfortable trying to do the soul retrieval work you're on your own. And if that's true, I can recommend a gal named Sherry Hyde, who's a therapist, but also a mystic. And Sherry can help you. If you live in Portland, you can go see her, but I think she can also do it over the phone. And I'll put her email address in the, at the website, but for now, I'll also tell it to you, which is C as in cat, M as in Mary, Hyde, H-Y-D-E, 66 at gmail.com. C-M-H-Y-D-E, 66 at gmail.com. 
and I highly recommend her work. Also, you don't need to go to someone else to do it. And um, a couple of ways you can do it. One, I just think hanging out with friends who sing around you in a circle that you've cast, who sing beautiful songs to you while sort of laying their hands on you can be one of the most powerful experiences. And remember, all we have to do to practice magic is to set an intention and then bring some energy to that intention, preferably in a circle. So this is a remarkable experience to go through. Now, you can't go through it in this moment because you're probably in COVID isolation. So you could do a small altar for yourself. If you have any pictures of yourself at the age when this happened, you could build a little altar to her, offer her flowers, maybe light a candle and just say a little prayer and just talk to her for about five or 10 minutes or sing to her and just say, you're welcome home. Come home to me. You've been lost. Home is waiting. I am your home. You know, whatever comes to you for five or 10 minutes and just talk to her because that little portion of you is somewhere and can hear you. That's a simple thing to do. That kind of setting the intention and bringing the energy will begin to invite her back. She might come back with some feelings. When she does, you want to do those deep breaths, releasing your palate, your palate in your mouth and letting it relax so that your vagus nerve calms down. But these are really good emotions that want to be translated into memories. And that's what that's what you're trying to do. You're going, I have strong emotions, I'm missing parts of myself, and I want to translate them into memories instead of it being a fresh trauma all the time that I have to solve by getting, you know, touched and allowing myself, my body to be release the oxytocin of being touched. So it's soul retrieval time, in other words. I don't really think it's your soul, though. <laughs> Maybe it is your soul. I don't know. That's a theological discussion you need to have. Um, okay, so second half of your question. If you're feeling less tender and you've been able to do some work about calling her that little girl back, the other thing that I'm seeing with you is that you probably are a priestess of Aphrodite or well, who's the other goddess? Venus. Uh, or whatever um, goddess you want to talk to who's a goddess of love and sex. And um, I'm just going with the Roman and the Greek ones for now. And that is a job. When you're that kind of priestess, you're very sexual. You're going to get into either a very sexual monogamous relationship or you're going to have a lot of sex with a lot of different people. And that when you have sex with people, you're healing yourself and them. And that's a job. That's a, a natural job. And if you don't know you have that job, you'll do it and not have not understand how to do it and kind of get yourself sort of in messes. Sometimes I've seen this happen. So what I would start with, since you are isolated, what I would start with is I would use sex as a magical act. So anytime I masturbated, I would cast a circle and I would set an intention because sex is a really powerful energizer of any spell working. And um, 
you know, the groovy guy who did the whole thing with plants, the secret life of plants, I think it's called. He used to put electrodes on plants and um, he had these, all these plants that were really vibrant and growing. And he couldn't figure out why this one group of plants was the happiest group of plants until he found out that on the other side of the wall was his neighbor who was um, a priestess of the goddess, priestess of, of Aphrodite, also known as a prostitute. And she was having a ton of sex on the other side of that wall. And the plants were like, yay, sex. And in the old days, we used to go plant the fields and then we'd lay down in the fields and have sex on Beltane. And that was to charge the energy of the plants. Well, it turns out it's for real. It really helps plants grow to have sex around them. So that's an example of how charging sex is. So what I would do if I were you is I would start a practice where my sexuality was noted as a sacred act of pleasure. And it's a really important ritual that I would set an intention for. And you can do all kinds of intentions, whatever you want. Like you could do healing for people or wellness for me or an ease of my abundance, more abundance, or, you know, things like that. Or you can just do love, love. I set the intention of sending love out to the world. Cast a circle and then just start to have that kind of sexual relationship with yourself that is sacred. And that doesn't mean it doesn't have, it has to be like all not sexual or all fun. You don't have to lose the fun. It doesn't have to be all like, for some reason, we've got that Christian overlay where we think sex is bad. And, and you know, you can just go for it, you know, play, play any game you want, do what you want. It doesn't matter. All acts of love and pleasure are my ritual. That's from the charge of the goddess. All acts of love and pleasure are my ritual. Charge of the goddess. And it's a beautiful idea. So if you're having pleasure, that's a ritual. Um, Start with yourself. Fall in love with yourself even more. Touch yourself. Give yourself that oxytocin release. and, And really honor that by giving it space. And it can be a five, you know, I'm not saying you have to have, have sex for hours. It can be five minutes. It's the honoring and the respect to your body and your sexuality and respecting that you are probably a priestess of sex and that that's an important role for the world. And some people are prostitutes. They have sex with a lot of people who have this role. And that's great. And some people are celibate, right? I don't know whatever the word is when you only have sex with yourself. And it doesn't matter how you do it. So I would start with that falling in love with myself a little bit, just a little bit more. You don't have to fall totally in love with yourself forever. Just a little bit more until you start to feel that rolling power of the goddess running through you, of the fecund earth moving, rising up through you, through your creative act of masturbation, of ecstasy, of joy, of sensuality. And then you can do a thing where you invite in a god to your bed. And if you haven't had sex with a god, I'm telling you, it's good. (laughs) And it's really good to practice having sex with a god um, when there is not another human being around you uh, because you get used to it. 
And I would actually think about what God you wanted to have sex with and see which one felt good and safe and wonderful to you and invite them into your bed. And things will happen that you will enjoy. And if, if at first you're a little like, I thought it happened, maybe it happened, did it happen? That's fine. But over time, it's a, you know, we're practicing magic, right? Over time, that will become stronger and stronger. It's sometimes when you do this practice, you, that's where it stays. It stays between you and the, and the God as an energy field. But uh, other times then you, the God will find a human being to bring to your bed and he will come into that human being's body. And it's, it's a kind of channeling and you'll find yourself having sex with the God in the form of that human. And you might find the goddess entering or the God, you know, you might also, please excuse me, I'm being a little heteronormative. You can also invite in a goddess or a third gendered God into your bed for this sex. And there's, interestingly, there's a God named Teresius, which is a third gendered God and another one called Ningishsita, but they're kind of non-humanoid. Anyway, you can invite whoever you want in, honey. I don't care. It's all good. You know, gender gender fluidity is our us when it comes to gods. So, but going getting back to what you should do, um, inviting those those gods to your bed eventually might bring a human being, and it will be a person who can channel that god, and you'll you might find yourself also channeling a god energy while you're having sex. And that's quite that then you're then you're then you're doing your work, then you're rocking it. So those are your choices. You can do it just the God energy sex with just the energy field, or you can invite that person, a person into your bed who can do it. And the God will arrange that. They'll bring that person to you. And you might find this is partly why your relationships are short, just because you're you're doing work with that person and then it's over. But, you know, if you want a longer term relationship, you can talk to the gods. You can say, look, I want to have sex with you and I want to be in love with a human and let's make that all happen and let's make that long term and just like put it out there. That's what you want. That could be one intention that you have while you're doing spell work with sex. And uh, yeah, so it, it sounds like you have a job and I really want to honor you for that job. And I want you to feel the empowerment of that. Being a sex goddess, a a priestess of sex, is very powerful healing to anybody who's anywhere near the energy. So like if you lived on my block, I would be receiving the blessing of that because it'd be going into all the plants and it would be going into the energy field and yay, more of that please, right? So I invite you to consider, are, am I a priestess of sex? And if I am, how do I want to work my way through that? How do I want to move through that? Choice number one, and beginning with just falling in love with myself. Two, feeling, feeling that sexual energy come through me, being an avatar of that sexual energy to the point where I'm actually receiving a god or a goddess in my body um, sexually and invoking them into my space 
possibly even invoking them into a person who channels that energy. Okay, well, have fun. Here's a great way to support me in my efforts. You can go to patreon.com forward slash askpomegranate. That's all one word. If you want to get behind all the work I'm doing, it would be really helpful. 520-222-9922. You can ask Pomegranate. You can ask Pomegranate. She-